0: Welcome to the Trend Detection podcast powered by Sensai, an industry leader in using AI to drive scalable and sustainable asset performance and reliability. For this three part series, I'm joined by Gail Peterson, founder of Fortig, a company that helps organizations get the maximum value from their investment in assets by embracing industry 4.0. In this second episode, we discuss who are the leaders in the asset management space, how predictive maintenance plays a key role, and the cultural issues that are holding back organizations accelerating their digital transformation journey. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to shift the conversation slightly because I know I wanted to come back to a point you made earlier about sort of leaders in the asset management space. And you you kindly said that the UK is sort of on the forefront of that, which is very nice. But um, so who are the leaders in, in asset management and what, and what are they doing to stand out in the, in the market?
1: Um, you want names?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. Well, John John Woodhouse, John Woodhouse in the UK, uh, of the Woodhouse Partnership. He led the, the um, initiative to develop ISO 55,000. Um, the Institute of Asset Management in the UK, was really his partner in doing this. There were over thirty-five countries that had degree on every word, is <laughs> in the ISO fifty-five thousand standard. Also, there were te- there are technical committees operating today to update that standard around the world. So there's one in Canada. There's one in the US. There's certainly one in the UK. There's one in um, Japan, they're, they're working diligently and consistently to update that standard. In North America, the uptake for ISO 55,000 has been slow. There is one person that I follow, that I respect, um, who is indeed a thought leader, and that is uh, Terence O'Hanlon, who is the CEO and publisher of Reliability Web. It's um, quite extraordinary, and um, I'm actually a volunteer for the Reliable Reliability Leadership Institute to develop the Internet of Things domain of knowledge, and that's been a fascinating journey, working with other people who are subject matter experts in the field, learning from each other, and creating um, a product that is a result of one plus one is greater than two. Australia is doing very well. Uh, the thought leadership there is is um, quite remarkable, and the uptake of the ISO fifty five thousand has been very good there as well.
0: So, so what? I guess it might be interesting to listeners to who might not know. So, what does what what is the that ISO fifty five thousand? What's it entail? How and what's its importance? I guess to asset intensive industries.
1: It's a guide. So it's been criticized for not being specific enough. I think it's the right thing to do. I don't necessarily. So I I don't necessarily say that you have to be certified, but it's definitely the principles embedded in ISO 55,000 are very worthy of embracing and to moving towards, again, it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, is it, I guess it's the, the industry standard. you'd probably say.
1: We'd like to see it as that, absolutely, yes for the standard for all asset intensive industries. It came about in the UK because the regulators looked around at all those public assets, utilities that had been deregulated. And their, the opinion of the regulators was that these assets are not being managed well enough. We're not getting enough value. So the whole shift, the whole focus of ISO 55,000 is to unlock that hidden value that your assets have embedded and that contribute to the bottom line. So let's find it, let's unlock it.
0: Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to to touch on asset management. And you said about, I think you're talking about maintenance specifically hasn't changed a lot in the past 40, 50 years. Um, Could the same thing be said about asset management um, over those time periods of five, 10, 25 years or more?
1: Well, asset management is a relatively new term. And what's happened is uh, <laughs> any vendor who's got anything to do with maintenance or reliability, they're talking asset management. Well, really? Is that really true? Um, is that what you're doing or are you doing work execution, for example? Um, so more tactical level. All of these pieces are important. Uh, so again, getting back to how your business is going to be run, you, you've got to lubricate. You've got to understand what, what assets are critical. You've got you've got to have your uh, enterprise asset management system, re, the backbone of the the record of how your asset, what your assets are, how they're connected to stocked and other spare, stock spare parts, how, what their repair history has been inspection history, all that is valuable information. Um,
0: yeah. And I guess how, do, how does predictive maintenance sort of fit into that as well, into that space? So sort of, it's a combination of lots of different systems. We talked about integration and, and bringing data together. So it's just interesting to know where, where predictive maintenance sort of fits into that too.
1: It's the future. And you need the data to be able to predict uh, failure. You need that information from your operational systems. You need to know, uh, you know, your assets are talking to you. And the question that I have is, Mister Organization, are you listening? Yeah,
0: and that, it's actually it's, it's interesting. So we use starting to use a term. I think it was actually during the the webinar that you. Um, you're on the same webinar with um endowments that we did but we were talking about uh, managing your machine's future would seem like a nice um well tagline or phrase that sort of summarized it quite well
1: it's true uh yeah i i i was very taken with that uh the content of that that webinar alexander hill uh rob heinekamp Heinekamp, very exciting um uh, their presentation of what the present is uh, for them and what the future is for asset-intensive organizations.
0: Yeah, because, and you've mentioned about spare parts as well, because I guess it's, in terms of predictive maintenance, it's traditionally we're just looking at sort of the machine and the machine health itself um, across a factory or multiple factories. But with with something that goes beyond that, we're talking about integrating with the supply chain as well and CRM, ERP. I guess you're saying that's that's the future that um, organizations should be embracing.
1: An organization that embraces that vision, they'll have a competitive advantage like no other. And you need executive sponsorship. You need you need leadership. Leaders are everywhere in the organization. And you need that we all they all need we all need to be aligned. We need to understand where we're going, and you need to trust your leaders. Because you know what? Your C-suite might take you to places you've never, never been before. And, so, and,
0: sorry. No, I was just going to... And from your, from your point of view, do you see... Um, although it might be a newish con- concept, but do you, do you feel there's an appetite for a, a tool like that? But, yeah, is is there... You know, are they experiencing those sort of problems already? Or, is, Again, is that going to require more education, say, on our part or other... <laughs> You know other, other companies' parts to to bring them up to that sort of level.
1: Well, so far, it, what I've seen is is it's the individual leader, decision maker, that's willing to take some risk uh, to be able to to jump to bridge that gap and uh, trust their consultants, trust their people to be able to take them there safely within the tolerance of risk that their organization is willing to bear so it's that individual with that vision with that conviction with the courage to be able to make that those kinds of decisions education is a really big part of bringing other other uh, organizations up to speed it's uh, essential to, to understand what the impact of these changes, Industry 4.0, will have as your business model is being turned upside down, and how to how to deal with that to your advantage?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to actually focus a little bit on some of the challenges today. And I think we've talked a lot about sort of the technological, tech, the technological, I can't say it, tech challenges, let's say, <laughs> in, a, in asset management today, but are there, are there other challenges? Um, what, are the, what are the top challenges, I guess, in asset management that are really holding, um, holding companies back, I guess?
1: Tradition, culture fear of change, Um, lack of awareness. The other piece is, and you mentioned technology, these technology first uh, projects, there's huge evidence of 70% failure. So why is that? And I suggest that those projects are not business driven. They're not driven by the needs of the business. The business leaders are not connected to those engineers and CIOs that are actually implementing these these technology um, initiatives. And the business leaders need to be heard. And it's for sure that if you're a business leader and I'm an engineer, I'm going to be talking speak, and you aren't going to be able to understand me. So I have to learn to talk your language of finance and business risk to be able to communicate to you what we need to do as an organization so that you can hear me, so that you can actually support me so that you can actually sign those checks, make sure it happens.
0: So, so you maybe, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but maybe do you feel that there's a disconnect at the minute between the sea level and, the, say, the engineers? Um, maybe communication problems there?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes,
0: I guess into yeah, and again, it's back to what you were saying about the the, the overall business strategy and marrying that up with um, what's happening on with the machine and the assets on the on the shop floor as well, and bringing the outcomes back to back to what the C level care about, which I guess is predominantly the bottom line.
1: Right. So, I firmly believe also we're talking about culture. And in my experience, culture stops, starts at the top. It's the words that I use. They need to be consistent. I need, I need, to, I need to be a person of integrity. You need to try, I, you can count on me. And if I mess up, I'll clean up. And then that message has to be consistently carried out throughout the entire organization, right down to the shop floor. I spend more time at work than I do with my family. I wanna know how my efforts contribute to those strategic objectives. And once I've got that line of sight, that gives me purpose. So that end-to-end visibility, that top to, top to shopper, top to field worker visibility, and then back up again. We need to be aligned. We need to be going the same direction. We need to have that visibility and that message constantly in our minds so that we're aiming towards the same thing. Those strategic objectives, that's what matters.
0: Yeah, and that and that alignment, I mean, culture is very interesting. We talk about that a lot at Sensai as well, as in we we work with customers and, and talk to companies that are in different stages in terms of a culture. And we talk about how important culture is to delivering sort of predict maintenance projects, but I guess it, can be expands to IoT or um, digital transformation projects. It's really culture so important. Are there, are there any other sort of key aspects of that, or key um, aside from alignment, that to build this type of culture within an organization? In the knowledge that it isn't an easy thing to do, um, ultimately. But are there any other steps that organizations can take to try and build that culture?
1: Well, I think it's a journey. It's uh, as you, as you alluded to, the other thing that occurs to me is that as leaders, we have to know what great looks like. And also as leaders, we can't hold things too tight. That cripples innovation, cripples out of the box and thinking. encourages people to be fearful. We can't hold things too loose or else it'll be like sand slipping through our fingers. So we need that balance of holding things just right. And again, communication is vital. It's not a one-time thing, it's ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. One of the best managers I ever had was um, in Copenhagen. I worked for an international marine shipping company And he was this big Viking and he would walk around and say, Gail, how's it going today? Do you have any problems? No, no, everything's going fine. And he'd uh, stand there and chat for a bit. And I'd say, well, actually, I have this problem. And he wouldn't solve it for me necessarily, but he would say, go talk to so-and-so. So that whole awareness, that that type of communication, walking the talk, moving to action, that's visible leadership. That's really, really important. Touching people, that's really important.
0: So I guess it, I think, and again, I think we've probably touched on this again, but it's um, sort of a disconnect between different departments. I guess. Is it the case that a lot of departments are solely sort of in their box and like, I, I work on this and I don't need to talk to them over here, but actually for you know, significant change you do, and you do need you know, the stakeholder engagement at various, at all different levels in order to deliver it successfully.
1: Yes, we need to talk about all stakeholders of the asset, uh, which are multiple. Finance, engineering, maintenance, um, uh, stores, technology, uh, field worker, like every, like, and and external, we need that outside-in view. Who are, we've got our customers, we've got our vendors, we've got our regulators, we've got government, we've got influencers, we've got unions. All of these external stakeholders are, you know, we have contracts with. And we need to make sure those important exchanges are working well um the other thing refresh my memory in terms of what you were talking about because there's some really important elements there
0: um it was so, go i'm my train for um <laughs> um we were talking about i think it was in terms of culture in and the disconnect maybe between um different departments and how a lot of the time they're sort of focused in their area, but actually that cross uh, collaboration, let's say, and input from different departments actually builds that culture, which leads to more successful um, projects.
1: Yes. You're talking, you're talking about siloed organizations as well.
0: Yes. And you're
1: talking about managers that defend their turf. (laughs) Uh, One of the most, um, impactful experiences in my career was actually facilitating a workshop in a greenfield site, pulp mill in Northern Alberta. So I had all of the stakeholders of the asset in the room and we were following the flow of a work order and purchase order. I had to cancel it. There wasn't enough understanding of that what I do Oh, that actually makes a difference to you. That actually, so I make this change and it upsets your apple cart. Oh, I didn't know that. So that awareness, that cross-functional awareness is really significant. How those business processes connect. What I'm I'm handing off to you. Does that have a red dot or a green dot? (laughs) Is that working well or is that not working well? Uh, we want all those. We want those. We want that that flow of data, that flow of information across the end-to-end business processes, and those cross departments. So you have put your finger on another very significant piece, and that is um, managers who are, who are gatekeepers. Uh, they, um, there needs needs to be a shift there. An awareness that, as you mentioned, collaboration is the key, not competition.
0: Yeah, and I guess think about it as well. So in like intensive industries, it can some can it also be a case of collaboration? So it's often we see maybe different plants working almost as separate businesses within a business. So it's it, it can each plant have a different culture. So when you think a whole organization, a larger organization, Fortune Global Fortune 500 100 organization is joined up, but actually the, the plants within them act almost like separate businesses sometimes. Is that your experience too?
1: Yes. Yes. Depending upon the leadership. Um, depending upon the leadership, some uh, executives want to see their plant managers compete. Um, and some, and it, it is absolutely true, as you say, that each plant will be in a different place. So that gap between where they are today and the future and a consistent future throughout the enterprise, that gap is going to be coming, coming from a different place for each plant. So you're quite right. We want to go the same direction, but the steps we take there um, might be different for each plant and probably would be different from each plant. The other piece is that with mergers and acquisitions that actually intensifies the technology muddle that we inherit and um, is really a call for action for that whole piece to be addressed and straightened around, straightened out, aligned speaking the same language, speaking with the same technologies. What a concept, hey?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, did, yeah that's interesting. I didn't even consider the the merger and acquisition piece because you're right, another um, organization comes into the group and they're using their own systems. And then if each, all the other existing plants will use their own systems, it's, it suddenly becomes a web of different data silos, which, or maybe even legacy systems that it's very difficult to bring together to deliver sort of that change and insight. It
1: gets even worse now (laughs) when you realize that your general ledger is different from my general ledger.
0: So that was the second part of our series that dives into the world of asset management. I hope you enjoyed it.